0: Life Audio. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to express my sincere thanks for listening and to let you know that I host three shows on the Life Audio Podcast Network. I'd love to invite you to listen to all three. The Chapter a Day Audio Bible is a daily reading of one chapter of Scripture, followed by a time of prayer related to each day's passage. New episodes are released each day of the week. Daily Devotions with Pastor John is another daily show where I share some encouraging thoughts and exposition on some of my favorite passages from the Bible. I release this show each day as a spiritual pick-me-up that also has the potential to foster spiritual maturity. Dwell on These Things is a long-form weekly show where we take an in-depth look at God's Word and learn more about how all Scripture is pointing our hearts toward Jesus. New episodes are released on Mondays, and sometimes I include a second bonus episode on Thursdays. As always, thanks for listening to each of my podcasts, the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, Daily Devotions with Pastor John, and dwell on these things. And after a quick word from our sponsors, we'll jump into today's episode. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life, because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody. Uh, Over the course of the past group of weeks, we have been taking a look at the Gospel of Mark, and so we're going to continue doing that today. And as we look at Mark's gospel today, we're going to be looking at chapter 5, and we're going to pick up at verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 20, and I'll tell you ahead of time what we're, what we're thinking about as we look at this portion of Scripture, and I think you'll see it right away. We're talking about this idea of becoming a missionary right where you are. So right where the Lord has you, right where you are, becoming a missionary in that place, and this is what it says as we pick up with verse 1 of Mark chapter 5. We read, For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled. And told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one, who had, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him, that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today. We're just so grateful, Lord, that as we look at this portion of scripture, we see things that you are impressing upon our minds and impressing upon our hearts to understand. You're helping us to grow in our walk with you. You're helping us to understand the nature of your son and his ministry and what he came to this earth to accomplish and reveal to us. Lord, we pray that as we just continue our study of the gospel of Mark, that you'd continue to reveal these things to our hearts and our minds and help us to grow in our walk with you, Lord, we pray that our relationship with you would be strong. We know that during this course of time, this this season of the year, that there are plenty of reminders all around us that demonstrate Your goodness to us in sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. So we pray, Lord, that we would take heart as we we think about these things. But Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we see what He came to this earth to accomplish. We see a demonstration of the miraculous here. And we pray that You'd prepare our minds and our hearts to understand what we're looking at together. We love You, Lord. We thank You for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've probably noticed this if you've been uh, part of our church family for any length of time, but our church actively supports missionaries throughout the world. Uh, frequently, at least once a month, we we uh, like to have our missions director, Seth, come on up, and, and he shares mission updates about uh, the missionaries that we're supporting. We have... We have uh, missionaries doing a variety of things. They do all sorts of things in different places. Some of them oversee orphanages and provide daily care and education and discipleship to to orphaned and abandoned children, and so we have the privilege to support that. We know some of the missionaries that we support dedicate their time to the work of Bible translation with the goal that that everyone in the world would have a Bible in their own language that they can read and learn about the ministry of Jesus Christ and who He is. Some of our missionaries serve in locations that seem relatively safe for them to be serving there, while some of our missionaries, we have to be a little bit more protective of their identities and protective of the works that they do. And, and uh, we have to be careful not to be uh, overly public with some of the things that they're doing because some of them are in places. In this world that presently, right now, are very hostile to the faith, and any proclamation of the message of Christ's gospel could get them in serious trouble with local authorities. And so missionaries serve in a variety of ways, a variety of locations, all over the place. Years ago, and some of you know her, uh, years ago my sister Tammy, when she was in her mid-twenties, she felt called to serve as a missionary in the country of Guatemala. And uh, no one in our family, to my knowledge, had ever been involved in, in foreign mission service. And, and Tammy really felt led to spend a, a few years of her life serving there in Guatemala. She wanted to spend two years specifically teaching in a Christian school that was, it was either near or in Guatemala City. And so to prepare for this work, she had to do a variety of things. She needed to learn more about the culture she was entering. And this is what missionaries do, is they're going into a culture. You learn about the culture. You want to figure that out. She also needed to learn a new language as well, and kind of had to become a little bit adept in multiple languages. But one of the main languages that she had to learn was Spanish. It was kind of interesting. Uh, a while after she had come back, somebody in, uh, I was in wilkes was on Public Square in wilkes and a person came up to me speaking Spanish. So they could speak no English. And I looked at them, and I was like, I have no idea what they're saying, and I have no idea how to help this person, but they're asking me for help. And I was like, wait, one second. And I called my sister Tammy on the phone. I said, Tammy, this person has something to say. You're going to be our translator. And so uh, the person would say something to Tammy. I would pick up the phone. Tammy would tell me what they just said. I would say something to Tammy. I would give the phone back to this person. We did that back and forth, and I was able to help this person while, uh, while we were talking. But Tammy had to learn the language. She also had to raise fund from, funds from churches Uh, and individual supporters to fund the mission work that she was about to do. So that was a whole big process, and everything came together nicely for her to be able to to take on this opportunity to serve in mission work for a couple years in Guatemala. She said it was a transformative experience. She threw herself into it completely, and she kind of went there with the attitude that I don't know what I'm going to experience, but whatever it is, I'm just going to be all in. I'm going to be flexible. I'm going to be a good participant. I'm going to be a team player. And I'll never forget a story that she told me. This is the funniest story that came out of her time there from my perspective. And I really, really wish that I was there to witness this with my own eyes. But there was another missionary that she was serving with there who was teaching people musical instruments and teaching the kids at the school musical instruments. And she had organized a parade through the city with these uh, young people that would be basically marching as a marching band. And so uh, the, the children all showed up, and they're all ready, and the parade's going, and Tammy thought, you know, I'll just, I'll be around to help out, see if they need anything while this other missionary leads this parade. And she's there with the students, and she's waiting, and she's waiting, and finally she gets word, the other missionary's not coming. And she's like, she's not coming? And they're like, no, she's not coming. Looks like it's on you to lead this parade, She's like, I don't even know where I am. Like, I don't even like. I have to lead a parade. I have to lead a marching band through the city of, or like, through Guatemala City on roads that I'm not quite familiar with. And she's like, whatever. All right, everybody line up. And she, and she, just like led a marching band through the city. And I'm like, I just wish I was there to see this. This would be like just like wonderful, big, bro- but kudos to her. Um, that she was willing to do that. And again, if you had asked Tammy if she ever thought that she'd be serving as a missionary when we were growing up, if you, if, you, if you asked her if she ever thought she'd be going to a foreign land, doing any of those things, I'm certain she would have told you, no, that was not what she expected of herself. But when the Lord led her to do it, she was obedient. It's like, I'm going to do it. And she did it. And here's the thing. The truth is whether we visit a distant country or whether we raise support to fund our efforts, every Christian has the opportunity and the calling to be a missionary. Every Christian, without exception. Most of us, in fact, are actually called to be missionaries right where we are. And that's precisely what you see demonstrated in Mark chapter 5. It's very interesting, and I think it's something that that should encourage us and hopefully inspire us. But let me reread the opening verses again, because it sets up what we're looking at here. Mark 5, starting with verse 1, it says, so it's, it's speaking of Jesus and the disciples, and they're in the boat, and they come to the other side of the sea, it says, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him." It's an interesting portion of Scripture. Now, in the previous chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we see that it tells us that Jesus and his disciples, they entered a boat... They sailed to the other, the, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They set shore uh, after that trip had com- concluded uh, in the region of the Gerasenes, which was a predominantly Gentile area. And when Christ stepped out of the boat, the scripture here tells us that he was confronted by a demon-possessed man who lived at a distance from normal society. So could you imagine a context like that? Second you step off a boat, a demon-possessed man comes running directly toward you. That would be an interesting experience. And, uh, and and Christ experienced this right after uh, getting off the boat. This man, this demon-possessed man, likely lived in the caves among the tombs. You know, we t- tend to think of a graveyard as being something where you bury somebody in the ground. In their context, a very common thing to do, particularly if you had some level of wealth, is that you would buy basically, you know, a cave area, and you would you would open and you would seal up the cave, you know, depending on whether or not you were... You were putting a deceased relative or family member there, and this, this uh, demon-possessed man very likely lived among the caves there, the, the tombs. He was well-known in the area, the Scripture says, for possessing supernatural strength that made it impossible to bind him with chains. The people locally were freaked out by this guy, and I, could you imagine being on, uh, like being tasked with, listen, you know, we don't know what this guy's going to do. He's kind of crazy. He does a bunch of things. Some of us need to just chain him up so he doesn't hurt somebody. Can you imagine being part of the crew that tried? Do you suppose the people that tried ended up with some injuries, maybe some lifelong scars from that? I bet you they did Uh, because at this point he's not chained. And I think that the people got to a spot where they're like, it doesn't work. Every time we try and chain this guy, the guy breaks the shackles. He breaks the chains. He gets out of these things. We've never seen anything like it. And we're told here that in addition to to the strength, the supernatural strength that this guy was demonstrating, some of the other evidence of demon possession that he was demonstrating was the shrieking. So he was constantly shrieking. So I imagine if you lived in any proximity to this area, you would frequently hear this. And it also tells us that he would cut himself with with sharp stones. He would just cut himself uh, with regularity. And so these were areas that were demonstrating that this man was obviously tormented by demons, And when you look at this portion of Scripture, I think it's very interesting to observe this man's behavior because it's very consistent with demonic activity that we see taking place elsewhere in Scripture. It's also consistent with demonic activity that we see taking place in our present day. I think in our own culture, we tend to downplay that. If you go to some other cultures, they don't downplay that. That's something very much front and center. Even Again, when my sister was in Guatemala, she would say that was something that people would just openly acknowledge. Here in the United States, I think we have become a bit too humanistic and a bit too dismissive of the supernatural. And as a result, sometimes we downplay certain things like that. But the activity we see this man carrying on is very consistent with demonic activity. We see elsewhere in Scripture, it's also consistent with present-day demonic activity. One of the things that you could say universally is that the the demons, uh, these fallen angels that have rebelled against the Lord, they resent humanity. They resent people. They resent you. They resent me. They resent humanity. They're fallen angels who rebelled with Satan. They are filled with self-serving pride, just as Satan is. They hate God, and they hate humans because man was made in God's image. They hate us. They demonstrate that time and time again. When you look at some of the activities of demons in Scripture and you see their their aims and, and their goals and the way they interact with people, they desire to either kill or maim people. This is what they like to do. And they've been doing that all throughout human history. We've seen this time and time again. They encourage people to do things like cut themselves and maim themselves and alter their bodies. They encourage people to kill one another and even kill their offspring. Where do you think some of these ideas come from? People don't acknowledge that that's, un, that that's demonically influenced, even in our own culture. Sometimes we look at these things and just think they're trends. They're not trends. These are things that have been taking place for generations, for all human history. It's demonically influenced thought. And you see this demonstrated even among this man here. You know, he's, he's cutting himself, he's injuring himself. Again, you know, you, you, you see examples of, of demons encouraging people to kill one another, to kill their babies, kill their offspring. They are a destructive force, and their handiwork can be seen all around us, if we're willing to be honest about the spiritual realities that are at play in our present-day reality. Or we could just ignore those things and pretend like that stuff doesn't really happen. But it does. And interestingly, when this demon-possessed man confronted Jesus, Scripture tells us that he ran and he fell down before him. He falls down before him. Now, this is Jesus' only recorded visit to this region. And yet the demon knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who he was. These demons, it reveals here that it's plural, they also knew all about the divine authority that Jesus possesses. And these demons start to beg him to leave them alone. When you look at verses 7 and 8 of Mark chapter 5, it says, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, in the same fashion as the demon that, w- that we saw that was referenced in Mark chapter 1, verse 24, the demon here that's speaking to Jesus uh, through the man that this, this demon or group of demons is possessing what happens here is you have the divinity of Christ acknowledged by this demonic force. Christ's divinity is acknowledged here. He knew he was face to face with God. And so this demon begins begging Jesus not to send him to the place of torment. A place of torment reserved for fallen angels. It's referenced in, in Revelation 20. I'm going to show you the verse in just a second, but I want us to understand this. You know, in, in, um, as you're going through the Scriptures... And you discover that Scripture references a bunch of things about the afterlife, right? What life looks like after our time here on earth is concluded. We frequently talk about the fact that as as men and women who believe in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of heaven. We'll be in the Lord's presence forever. He's going to recreate heaven, recreate earth, unite them together, and we'll be with him forever in his kingdom for all time. I look forward to that. Scripture also tells us there's an alternate to that, if that option doesn't sound appealing to you. We typically refer to uh, the place in the afterlife where those who have rejected the Lord will spend their eternity as hell. You also re- reference it as the lake of fire. And uh, when you think about that, when you look at what Scripture actually reveals about hell, um, when, when you, know, you, you see like these references to this lake of fire, one of the things that you discover is that that was not actually created for human beings. It wasn't created for us. Now, people will spend their eternity there, but it wasn't created for us. It's actually created for the fallen angels as a place for their ultimate destiny to be. And those that obviously persist in following Satan, will go to we, you go to be where the one you follow is. That's basically how it works. And so here you have the demon speaking to Jesus, and he says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, why is he saying that? Do not torment me. Well, he knows. He knows of this place. And in fact, Revelation 20.10 tells us a little more about it. It says, and the devil who had deceived them, so just think about Satan's activity throughout human history. He just loves to deceive people, confuse people, get us to believe all sorts of ridiculous things. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's a reality. That is a spiritual reality that Scripture reveals to us. And here you have this demon looking at Jesus, and he says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me, knowing that Christ has the power to do so, knowing that this is the ultimate outcome for these fallen angels that have rebelled against the authority of the Lord. This must have been a fascinating conversation to witness. Could you imagine being there and seeing these sorts of things take place? Or hearing this conversation as it's taking place? People avoided this man. There's probably people over the course of your life that you have maybe made a point to avoid because they made you feel uncomfortable and they made you feel unsafe. Maybe you found yourself at times in a public area and you'll, you'll find somebody that is just acting a little bit off and you think, you know what, especially if you've got young kids with you, you think, ah, let's just like, like not be around that person. That person doesn't seem stable. That person doesn't seem right. You've probably had experiences like that. Well, this was the way this guy was with the culture at the time. You know, as people were looking at this man, this demon-possessed man, this was a guy they stayed away from, and they tried to protect themselves from him by binding him. It's just that nothing worked, so people avoided this man because they felt threatened by him, and they're like, we can't subdue him. We want to subdue him, but we can't subdue this guy. But the guy comes running at Jesus, and Jesus doesn't run from him. Again, even just that fact had to be fascinating for anyone that was familiar with this guy and what he does. The man comes at Jesus. Imagine being someone local who knew who this guy was and seeing him run towards somebody else. If you're seeing him run towards somebody else, your gut level response is going to be, oh, that guy doesn't know what he's in for. That guy's going to mess him up. He's going to mess him up. And yet Jesus doesn't run away. This guy comes running at him and Jesus doesn't run away. In fact, Jesus was there on purpose with kind of a a mission assignment where he goes to the garrisons to accomplish this. Jesus was there on purpose to meet that man that day. Jesus was there to turn this man's life around, to send him out on a mission, to make the gospel known wherever this man had influence or wherever this man had a reputation. By the way, You know, in the midst of all the personal lessons that we could take from a passage like this, I I hope one of the lessons that we'll actually hold on to is the fact that Jesus can turn even the most hopelessly tormented life around. Because he absolutely can. He's not afraid of where you've been. He's not afraid of what you've done. He's not afraid of the reputation maybe you've earned. Jesus will joyfully make you a new person. And Scripture tells us he'll give you the gift of his righteousness. And he'll send you on a mission with a purpose and the understanding that you are more loved than you can possibly imagine. And that's a lesson that this demon-possessed man was about to learn. It's kind of interesting because there's so many people in this world that think that they have such a bad reputation that the Lord could never use them. And the ironic thing is it's that reputation and the miraculous power of Christ to turn that life around that's going to give them some of the greatest open doors than they could possibly imagine. And so Jesus talks to this guy. Most people didn't have conversations anywhere near this guy. They wanted to get away from this guy. But Jesus knows what's going on on the spiritual front here and also in the, on the relational front with this man. And when you look at verses 9 through 13, it tells us this. It says, "'And Jesus asked him, "'What is your name?' Now, whose name is he referencing? He's not referencing that man's name. He's speaking here to the demonic forces that are oppressing this man. It says, "'And Jesus asked him, "'What is your name?' And he replied, so the demon is now speaking through this man. And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Again, can you imagine like seeing this? People are like, this guy beats us all up, but yet he begs Jesus not to torment him. It's like, I wonder if some people just thinking naturally, like, is that guy like really strong? Why is he begging him not to torment him? And it says in verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. This, by the way, is also how you know that this was a more Gentile area. The Jewish people aren't going to be herding pigs and taking care of pigs and doing things like that. If you know anything about uh, the eating requirements and and, uh, all of that that you find in the Old Testament scriptures, they're not going to be eating pigs. It's not what they did. But in this area, that was a common thing. It says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Well, that's an interesting occurrence, isn't it? But here, Jesus, as he's talking, as he's conversing with this man, specifically with the demons possessing this man, when he asked the demon who was speaking through the man to state his name? He says, What is your name? The demon replied and said that his name was Legion. Now, if you're familiar with that phrase, if you're familiar with military terms specifically, in military terms, a Legion was the largest unit of the Roman army. And it's not a, it's not a fixed number of soldiers that would be in a Legion, but commonly there would be anywhere from Roughly three thousand to six thousand soldiers that would be in a legion. So, if you see a reference to a legion, it's it's roughly three thousand to six thousand. Just depends on on uh, the context, and and we don't know exactly how many demons were in this man, but the implication from the name that the demon gives here, and what happened when the demons were cast out of the man. It demonstrates to us that very likely there were thousands of demons possessing this one single individual. When you think of things like demonic oppression or demonic possession, do you ever think about it like that? Isn't that an interesting thought? I mean, it's very likely there were thousands of demons possessing this individual. Now, here's the thing. I don't claim to fully understand demonic activity. I think some of it's a bit mysterious to us as humans. We have Scripture to go off of, though, and and there are certain things we can learn by reading the pages of Scripture but you see demons operating in a variety of ways. Sometimes they seek to influence and oppress people from the outside. And I do believe, and you can see this in places like Daniel chapter 10, that some demons have been assigned to influence geographical areas. So when you look at the things that influence our culture right now, things that are going on, um, don't, like, make sure you have some discernment with what you allow to influence yourself and your children. Because of a lot of popular influence is actually demonic influence. And that's not crazy talk. I mean, I say a lot of crazy things, don't get me wrong. Uh, but biblically speaking, you see that that's very much part of the activity of Satan, this idea of influencing geographical areas, to try and think that way. And so sometimes they do that. They try and influence and oppress people from the outside. And don't think that we as Christians are not immune to their influence because you can be duped, you can be deceived, it's possible. Other times, demons seek to possess people from the inside. So we see that happening here in this context as well. Now, as believers who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, He took up residence within you. He lives within you. So as believers who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, I don't believe that Christians can be demonically possessed. I don't believe that that's possible. The Holy Spirit already lives within you. He has taken up residence within you. But just the same, we certainly can be influenced or disturbed by demonic activity. And yet in the midst of it, I don't know when you think about that stuff, if it freaks you out, if it's something that you find uncomfortable. Um here's the thing. We can praise God that his power is greater than any demonic force, and he's made a point to protect us from the evil one. In fact, when you look at John chapter 17, by the way, I gave you a homework assignment last week to read the, the book of Jonah. I'm not going to quiz you on whether you did it. I'm just going to trust that you did. And if you didn't, I need you to go home today. I need you to read it twice. <laughs> but I'm going to give you another homework assignment, and I know you'll do this one too, right? John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, there's a prayer that Jesus prays on behalf of believers. And uh, some people reference it as his high priestly prayer. And there's something very interesting that Jesus says in John chapter 17 that I want to highlight for us because it demonstrates the power of God to protect us from any demonic force. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 17, but again, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Again, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Christ's Christ's prayer on our behalf to the Father that we would be protected from the evil one in the midst of the world where we serve as missionaries, where we serve as ambassadors of Christ in the midst of a very real spiritual battle. Now, when you come back to Mark chapter 5, you see these demons and they're interacting with this guy. Knowing that they were about to be cast out of the man, The Scripture tells us here that the demons begged for permission to possess a large herd of pigs that were feeding by the hillside. And so the Scripture tells us Jesus gave them permission, and immediately after doing so, the herd of about 2,000 pigs... So again, you see the numbers here. You know, the demon identifies himself as a group of demons going by the name Legion. There's typically 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers in a legion. And here it tells us that a herd of about 2,000 pigs were... uh, possessed by these demons, and rushed down the hillside into the sea and drowned. Now, Scripture tells us that the people of the region were astonished at all this. They were freaked out. This was, this was just weird stuff, weirder than the guy at the, uh, at the tomb screaming and cutting himself and doing all the things that he was doing. This was extra weird to them, right? They were astonished at all this. The herdsmen in particular they were, they were disturbed. They're the ones that actually, as they saw the pigs that they had been herding and taking care of, planning to make some BLTs out of very soon, I'm sure. Maybe. I don't know if they ate BLTs back in that day, but they should. <laughs> they were disturbed. As they saw this herd go down the, the, the hillside into the water, and so they go from that area, and they go into the city, and they let everybody know what's going on. They're like, you are not going to believe what's happening out by the tombs. Why? What's going on out by the tombs? Also, you guys smell bad. Have you been hanging out with the pigs? That's what we do. It's our job. We take care of these things, right? But when the people arrive, what do they do? They see thousands of dead pigs floating around in the water. Pigs are still there. They're floating around the water. That would be a sight in and of itself. But I think what amazed them even more was the fact that the demon-possessed man was now free. This is the guy we've been trying to chain up. This is the guy that's been freaking us out. This is the guy that we all feel threatened by, and we're wondering, like, what happens if he leaves that area and maybe comes into the city? Does he hurt people? We're not strong enough to stop him. He seems able to stop everything we do. They look, and all, all of a sudden, this guy's free, and he's in his right mind, and he's no longer a danger to interact with. So yeah, okay, there's the pigs. That's one thing, but what about the guy? That's what's getting their attention, and it's very obvious to the people that what had taken place was divinely orchestrated. This was, this was miraculous, and they were puzzled as to how to respond. They're thinking, like, how do you respond to this? This is something unlike they had ever seen in their life. This was quite the disturbance to their, to their status quo. And here's the thing. Most people, and we have to admit this, this is possibly even true of us to some degree, but most people strongly prefer only what seems predictable and stable and familiar and safe. And that's how most people are trying to go through their life. Just give me what's predictable and what's stable, and what's safe, and what's familiar. Don't interrupt my routines. Don't do anything like that. Most people in this world at any given time, that is their preference, us included. Some of you are pointing to your spouses. Some of you did this to your spouse last week. I understand that is human nature, right? But what did they do in this context? Jesus comes and does something miraculous among them. And so they look at him, and he's, he's interrupting their routine. And so they ask him to leave. They're like, could you leave? This disturbs our routine. We got used to the guy screaming his head off over here at the tomb, cutting himself. We were used to that. Now all our pigs are dead, and this guy's well. We might have wanted the pigs. And they look at this, they're like, we don't know what to do. They're actually freaked out by what's taking place. They could tell miraculous things are taking place in their midst. So they asked Jesus to leave. He had done a great work in their presence. But they weren't interested in greatness. They weren't interested in the miraculous. They preferred the familiar. So what did Jesus do? He honored their request. And he left. But one man actually asked to leave with him. Even before we get into that, just think about that. Isn't that interesting how God doesn't force himself on anybody? You know, I often think about this. There are people in my life that I very much want to come to faith in Jesus Christ, people that I've been praying for for years. There's even this one place, I won't, I won't say what it is out loud, but whenever we drive to visit my family up in Northeast Pennsylvania, we drive by this one particular place that a friend of mine from high school used to work at. Every time I see it, I pray for him and for his family that they would come to know the Lord. Like I remember when my buddy so-and-so used to work there, and so I pray for him. And uh, there are people in my life that I just I, I would love for them to come to know the Lord. And I often think about, all right, if I'm sent here as a missionary to these people, it's no accident that I grew up with who I grew up with. It's no accident that my family are my family. It's no accident that my friends are my friends. The people that I meet on the, on a daily basis, it's no accident. It's all intentional. So if that's the case, that means I'm supposed to represent Christ to these people. But do you ever wonder in your own sphere of influence... What's the best way to do this? Because there are people, aren't there people that you wish you could just sit down and say, listen, I'm going to tell you important stuff. I want to explain the gospel to you, and I want you to just straight up believe everything I'm going to say. And don't argue with me about it. Just believe it, right? Wouldn't it be nice if it worked that way? Probably for some people, it would work that way. For most people, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And here's what I've discovered. I will never save anybody. It's not my job. I don't have the capacity to do it, neither do you. We're not going to save anybody. I'm not going to save anyone. You're not going to save anyone. The only one that could save people is the Lord. Our job is to represent him well. And this is what I've learned about representing him well. Don't shy away from telling people about what Christ has done in your life. Don't let that be a secret on your social media, in your personal conversations. Don't let it be a secret. You don't have to be judgmental about it. You don't have to be an irritant about it. You don't have to be somebody who's purposely trying to push other people's buttons. You don't have to do it that way. But it's pretty hard to argue when you're testifying about what Christ has done for you. That's not typically something. It can, in some contexts, provoke argument, but it doesn't typically provoke argument. Just be willing to testify to what he's done for you. And here's the thing. There are some people that will need to hear that a variety of times before their eyes are open to the truth. So say it a variety of times. And there are other people who will never, ever listen. And that's that's their choice. That's their option. What can you do about that? You can pray for those who have hard hearts. It's really only the Lord that opens up our eyes and softens our hard hearts. So pray that he does that. But here, what does Christ do? He honors their request. He does the miraculous among them, demonstrates his divine authority right there in their midst, saves a lost soul that they thought was the most hopelessly gone person, and instead of jumping up and down in excitement, they're like, could you just go? Could you just leave? Do not be shocked if you get a similar response sometimes. And if that's the response you get, okay, that's up to you. I don't argue with people when it comes to that stuff. Here's what I've also discovered. People are kind of surprised when you don't keep fighting about it. And sometimes you get the next conversation. You get the follow-up. Maybe not immediately, but maybe a little bit down the road. It's like, hey, you know, I asked you to knock it off, and you knocked it off. Can I actually ask you more about that? I've actually had that happen multiple times. Multiple times I've had that happen. I think it's a wonderful thing. But here, they weren't interested in the miraculous. They weren't interested in what... What Jesus was doing. They preferred the familiar, even though familiar was dysfunctional. They're like, at least it's familiar, right? It's like an old pair of shoes. They're ugly, but I know how they fit, relatively comfortable and familiar. And so he honors their request and he prepares to leave, but one person wants to go with them. The scripture tells us when you get to verse 18, it says that as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So now it's interesting. There had been begging from the demons. Jesus, please don't torment us. But now you have the man in his right mind also begging Jesus. And he begs him that he might be with him. And in verse 19, it says, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled, so here you have the man who was possessed and now he wants to be near Jesus from now on. He's looking at him and he's like, I want to be, be with you forever. I just want to be with you. You set me free. I had no hope. I had no life. And you gave me hope. You gave me life. He was free. He didn't want to leave the side of his Savior. And so he requested, can I just get in the boat with you and the guys? Can I just be one of the guys now? Can I just get in the boat with you? And Jesus says, no, You may not. That's not for you to do. I have a different assignment for you. Instead, he gives this man a mission. He commissions this man's life's work. He's like, you're going to be a missionary to this region. I came here to find you. I found you. Now you've got a job. And here's what your job is. Be a missionary right here. And the scripture tells us that he traveled throughout the Decapolis. By the way, the Decapolis, it was a group of 10 cities that had an alliance together. They would help each other militarily and also financially and with trade and things like that. So when it's talking about a Decapolis, it's actually 10 cities that were partnering together. And so Jesus was saying, look, you're not going to come with me, but you're going to be a missionary to these 10 cities. You're going to be a missionary to the Decapolis. You're going to travel throughout the Decapolis as a witness for Christ. And what did this man do? He spent his life as a missionary to his own people, testifying daily about what Jesus did for him. A missionary to his own people. I'm grateful that there are people who are willing to travel throughout the world telling other people about Jesus. You and I wouldn't be hearing the gospel right now if someone didn't take that risk at somewhere in human history to proclaim the gospel to our ancestors wherever they were from. Someone traveled And shared the gospel. And so I'm grateful that there are people willing to travel throughout the world to tell people about Jesus Christ. Uh, I can't help but be thankful for anyone who answers that call. And at the same time, I'm also grateful for those who, at the Lord's leading, stay right where they're at and tell the people that they grew up with how much Jesus has, has done for them. I once had a conversation in the entryway of the church here with a man who said he felt called to be a missionary. And I said, great. I said, where? And he said, anywhere but here. That's what he said. Anywhere but here. And I said, so where? He's like, I don't know, someplace foreign. And you know what my, my thought on that was? If you're not willing to be a missionary here, don't expect to be commissioned to be a missionary somewhere else. It starts where you're at, not somewhere else. It starts right where you're at. So I don't know where Jesus will send you, or if he's going to direct you to just stay put right where you're at. But my counsel, in line with what this scripture says, is just simply go where he tells you to go and remain where he tells you to stay. The people of the Decapolis, the scripture tells us, they marveled at the man's testimony about Jesus. And here's the thing, I believe there are people in our community, or if you're from a distance away today, in your community We're also going to do the same when they hear you testifying to Christ's miraculous work in your life as well. They're going to look at that and they're going to say, that's an amazing thing. And some of them have known you for a long time. And you're going to think, some of you are going to mistakenly think that because people have known you for a long time, they won't believe your testimony. And it's actually the opposite. Because they've known you for a long time, they're going to know if you mean it. They're going to know if it's real because they knew the old you. Now they get to see the new you. And this man is the new him, the new creation that he was in Christ, had the opportunity to testify to Christ. And again, let's take inspiration from this. Verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Isn't that the wonderful privilege that we've all been given? We've been blessed with that opportunity. This man had a mission, and the same mission has been given to you and me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and for how wonderful it is to be able to look and say, Lord, we were in a messed up spot when you found us. We were spiritually dead. We were distant from you, and you miraculously reached into our lives and snatched us out of the mess that we were either embracing or stuck in. Lord, we're just so grateful for a testimony like we're able to read when we look at a portion of Scripture like this from Mark chapter 5. Everybody had given up on this man. Nobody wanted to be around this man. All they wanted to do was prevent him from causing additional harm or, or threatening people or making people feel uncomfortable. And yet your son, Jesus Christ, gladly interacted with this man, set him free from what was causing him spiritual bondage, commissioned him to be a missionary right where he was from, to people that knew the old him. So, Lord, we pray that you would do the same for us. We pray that we would be absolutely obedient if you tell us to go someplace far away, that we would do it. And if you tell us to stay close by to people that we've grown up with, we pray that we would also be obedient to that. We also know that, that for those of us that are called to go a distance away, before we go a distance away, our mission work starts here. So in that sense, all of us have been called to be a missionary right where we are. Lord, I'm so grateful that when we look at this man... We see a man whose only credential to proclaim the gospel was the fact that he was dead and now he was alive. He was spiritually dead and now he was spiritually alive. And he had interacted with you. He knew you. And through your spirit, you would speak through him. Lord, I pray that if there be anyone in in our hearing right now who thinks they don't have the credentials or the lengthy life experience or a powerful family history or a, a testimony that, where they could testify to decades and decades of following you, if they think that those things somehow disqualify them for proclaiming the message of your gospel, for testifying to the fact that, that you have done miraculous things and have shown them mercy, I pray, Lord, that they would, that they would dismiss those thoughts in their minds And that you would bring them right back to this portion of scripture that reminds us of how you use unlikely candidates to do wonderful things. Thank you for those that came to faith in you through this man's testimony as he went throughout the Decapolis. And thank you for those who will come to faith in you as we testify as well in our relationships, around the table with our family, as we interact with our friends, as we use our social media. Whatever platform you entrust to us, Lord, we pray that we would use it for your glory and that we would testify to the mercy that you've shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're just so grateful for who you are. We're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at your Word together. Even unique portions of Scripture like this that cause us to think about things that probably most of the time we wouldn't really even prefer to think about, but yet at the same time, it's just so wonderful to see how your power is sufficient over all the things that try and harm and oppress humanity. We're so grateful for it all, and we're grateful that you're present with us right now, Lord. We commit ourselves to you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take, but I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the Team Us podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Mm -hmm. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation and help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.